Hello and welcome back to TNWKS, the Now We Know show, the show where we discuss a topic of interest and by the end we will have learned something new and hopefully you will too. I'm Zach. And I'm Buzz. And in this week's episode I'm really quite excited. Oh, so am I. Because we're going back to the moon. Da-da-da-da-da-da! If you enjoy the Now We Know Show podcast, support Zach World Productions on Patreon or join our members on YouTube for early access, ad-free content and exclusive episodes. Yes, we're going back to the moon this week with an update all about the current state of the Artemis project, if you want to call it. Ah, yes, because we we did do a podcast on that. That's right, Uh, which is all about taking mankind back to the moon, Mm -hmm. landing on the moon for the first time since the... 60s. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? And also putting a permanent moon base on the moon. And that's that's having, something like a, a sci-fi having, movie. Having a permanent orbiting space station mm. around the moon and for it ultimately to be a jump-off point to Mars. A catapult to Mars, exactly. yeah. How and exciting. The, the reason we talk about this week is because on um, the 15th of February, mm-hmm. the Intuitive Machines Nova Sea Lunar Lander, named Odysseus, lifted off on a SpaceX Falcon rocket from NASA's Kennedy Space Center. And the thing is, Mm -hmm. it's doing really well, and it's going to land on Friday. Wow. And obviously this podcast is being put out on the Thursday, so it'll be the day after. That we'll actually know whether or not the mission was successful. So far, everything's looking good, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Because first, we have Weird and Wonderful. Okay, so I have brought in a weird and wonderful story this week. So, the headline is, Highland Games Trophy Missing for 90 Years Returns Home to Scotland. So, the Cabrac Picnic and Games ran annually from 1877 to 1935. It was revived in 2022. Okay, so it's like a Highland Games. It's a Highland Games. Right, we're tossing the game. But without the trophy. Oh dear. Following a public appeal, the Rose Bowl was found in Devon by a relative of the Silverware's last winner. Ah, I know the feeling. Yes. Yes, um, because... Just to quickly sum up for the listeners... martial arts instructor I used to teach swordsmanship and as part of that there was this wonderful it was like the pinnacle of swordsmanship trophies when you're mm. talking about the single-handed steel backsword you call it board yeah broadswords were used as well we had variations in backswords but if you just think of a single-handed sword it was the UK's pinnacle trophy run by the British Federation for Historical Swordplay I won that twice. I'm the only person to get their name on that trophy twice. The, you know, called the Gloriana Cup. Wow, and, what an achievement. And two of my students did as well. Wow. All the other names on that cup were individuals from individual clubs, whereas my mm. club won it four times. That is. And the last time it was played, Amazing. which was a number of years ago now, I believe an Australian chap won it. Oh, yes. visiting. I remember when this was all kind of headline <laughs> and news. Then, and then... I discovered that for some reason, possibly maybe with the intervention of some bottles of brandy, the people in power allowed 
him to take the trophy all the way back to Australia, never to be seen again. Yeah, with the promise of some kind of international thing that's never going to happen. And so the trophy disappeared and it's somewhere in Australia, never to be seen again. But, but yeah. there you go. So I know the feeling when it something would be, as precious as that It would be amazing if we could get the Gloriana Cup, the original Gloriana Cup, back to the UK. Yeah, I mean, we did uh, substitute the cup for a cup called the Valor Cup. I believe mm, and we did that we sponsored to replace it. Which funny again. fact, I won. You did. Anyway, so they got the, the their Rose Bowl back. Yes. Yeah, so the Rose Bowl was silverware that was traditionally awarded to the top performing athlete at the Cabroc Picnic and Games in Moray. And they got it back. And they got it back How after years? ninety years. Ninety. That's amazing because something like that can easily just be melted down. Exactly. Or yeah, you know, just repurposed. I mean, for instance. Let's just go to a show like Antiques Roadshow. It could be that it could be passed down to somebody who knows no Nothing idea ab- about the significance of this particular mm-hmm. item. It's just a, a random bit of assorted Trophy. silverware. Yeah, yeah. And it could be put on Antiques Roadshow or whatever just to be sold for, what, yeah. 50 quid. Yeah, I mean, I think they had a chap not so long ago on the Antiques Roadshow uh, that pulled something like three or four silver cups out of a skip. Mm. Um, that is sports cups yeah, and uh, he sold them on mm. but so these things can get thrown away exactly, exactly. So, exactly. So for them to get it back after 90 years well done there as an amazing achievement and well that, done what a great bit of news this week <laughs> good bit of luck superb anyway now we're on to this amazing venture that mankind or people kind I don't know what you can say humankind? these days humankind okay Mankind being a generic term for everybody, okay? So uh, we're going back to the moon. Mm -hmm. And the uh, Odysseus lander is the second recent lander that's been launched into space. Mm -hmm. The first one a few weeks ago. Is that the Japanese one? Was it Chinese? No, no, no. This was, uh, again, one that went up from America. Right. Uh, I'll talk about the details on that shortly. Unfortunately, that had a fuel leak on board. I think the launch was fine. Everything was fine. It got into orbit, and it was meant to, I think, orbit the Earth and slingshot its way off to the moon, moon, get into lunar orbit, and then land somewhere in the Mm, South Pole region. But because of a fault, didn't it burn up? Uh, It did burn up on purpose. It was a deliberate. It had a fuel leak in the lander, Mm. which means it would never be able to get... Functionally made it, yeah. Yeah, it would never have gotten there. Um, so rather than having the space debris floating around, which obviously can collide with other satellites, just be a hazard generally, yeah. they had the control over it that they could basically bring it, bring it back into the Earth's atmosphere, let it burn up, and any bits that managed to get through the atmosphere would just end up in the in the sea, which they did, which was a big shame. Yeah. But as I say, last week, the Odysseus lander took off, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you saw any of the footage when it got into space, absolutely amazing if you haven't seen it that is you zach or listeners listening to the podcast go on youtube look it up because it is so crystal clear now we've got it's, such, it's ringing a bell i think it had a brief stint on the news it's got such well that's trouble i find with the terrestrial news in the uk at least you know you get something as um, well to me amazingly interesting and to, to so many people um amazingly interesting uh, news articles like this mm. and, and they like essentially history history making and they randomly get onto the news or you might if you know have something at 25 past 10 in the evening and, and you missed it i you mean know, a can, little mention i mean can to put but, it into comparison something 
like football gets a higher slating on the news than something, something as like groundbreaking that. and as technologically advanced as this. Yes, well, hopefully, by the end of this week on Friday, mm. Odysseus would have landed and the news will find that newsworthy to actually broadcast. Fingers crossed, eh? Um, as with all usual kind of news media outlets, if it had a problem and crashed, then it'll be all over the news. Mm. <laughs> because they love negative material. It's very strange, though, isn't uh, it? That's the way... Uh, though, it's all subversive, isn't it? Keep well. pumping everybody with negative stuff. Anyway, on a positive thing, yeah. this is a positive step. Human in the right kind, direction. Humankind in the right direction. Uh, and before we carry on with the, the details of, of the mission... People have, while well, I've been discussing it over the past week, talking to people about, oh, yeah, I can't wait for the, this week's podcast. Uh, one question did come up, and it said, you know, why are we bothering? You know, why are we spending all this money to go into space when we've got so many problems on planet Earth? Shouldn't we be fixing those first? It's really interesting you should bring that up because that argument has been prevalent ever since we originally went to the moon. Yeah. And, well, I think there's a big difference at the moment between when uh, America went to the moon in the first instance and um obviously su subsequent countries have put landers i think even india has recently put a lander on the moon mm. as you say i think it was was it japan that put one up recently but unfortunately it landed upside down yeah on the dark um, side of the moon uh, well there is no dark side of the moon um, sorry i've got to pull you up on that there is no fun facts on the now we know show podcast there is no dark side of the moon we just call it that it's it's it, it, it's a completely wrong it's term. A fallacy there is no dark side because um, when the other side of the moon, okay, mm. is facing the sun, yeah, when we don't see the moon because it obviously it goes through its moon phases and before it becomes a new moon, mm. you basically got uh, the Earth's shadow blanking out the moon. To mm. you know, the Earth is between us and the uh, and the sun, uh, so the Earth is blocking the moon, and we get. You can't see the moon, and then gradually, as it goes through its moon phases and creeps out of our shadow, and then sunlight lands on it. But of course, when the moon is between us and the sun, the far side of the moon, as it should be called, is completely lit up by the sun. So there's no dark side. Okay, so let's put it that way. Anyway, ha ha, that's fake. It was Japan's. It was Japan's, it was Japan's yes. that went upside down. Yeah, because they had a problem because the. Uh, solar array is on the top of it. Yeah, so uh, it couldn't, it couldn't get charged, which was a real disappointment with the poor thing. Landing. But it made it. It made it there. So it's a positive. But it's part of the issue with going to the moon. It is not something you can do easily. It no, is, of course. It is incredibly hard yeah. to get anything to the moon. Yeah. I mean, even getting out of Earth's atmosphere is one problem. Yeah. And then getting there and landing safely. I mean, you can imagine the calculations. It's not like you can take a space vehicle and literally fly it by looking out the window and, no, and, you know, of course not. all this has to be calculated and this uh, isn't a movie this is this yeah, is real life this is real. um and, but this is part of the thing you know with with the new odysseus mission is that part of that is to when it lands on the south pole region where they're looking to hopefully at some point in the future not too distant future put a permanent uh, moon base then that will have lots of uh, equipment on board on this mission to help with navigation to make landing safer and easier to do. No, oh, okay. Okay, so that's part of the mission. To to recap and answer the question of what's the point, you know, why we spend all this money. Yeah, I can see why people say that. They say, oh yeah, we've got the earth, we've got the problems, we've got global warming, we've got this, the earth is, um, you know, it needs fixing. 
you could say. Mm. You could argue the earth needs fixing. And you could argue, well, why does the earth need fixing? And the earth needs fixing because... The, ultim- the ultimate thing is, is... Mankind is screwing it up. Yeah. Um, because if uh, we weren't here, the, 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 then they would be just ticking along quite... Merrily. It'd be the natural order. The natural order. But we like to... Mess about mess with about it. Mess about with the natural order. Uh, well, that's the thing. So, stop for a moment, take a breath, and think that actually humankind leaving planet Earth is part of the fix. Mm. In fact, it is, for the future, going to be a major part of the fix. Mm. I've said this before, with uh, like Blue Origin's uh, philosophy is to make the Earth the paradise that it should be. Yeah by removing all heavy industry off the planet. Yeah. You know, there are so many resources out there just in our solar system, you know, with the uh, asteroid belt, you know, is obviously uh, different minerals and um, things on the moon that is the nearest thing to us, but we can go further out and mine and produce and manufacture off-world. Now, the whole point of that is the fact is the human race uh, we're almost at carrying capacity mm. of the planet Earth at the moment. Um, it's calculated to be about twelve, uh, sorry, about ten point five billion people on the planet would be hitting the carrying capacity of the planet. Mm. And that's a frightening thought. That should happen around two thousand and fifty. Now, of course, people—that's th- that's within yeah. our lifetimes. People throw into the mix, oh, you know, human expansion of population tends to fluctuate because, you know, older people die off, infant mortality, things like that. But still, still, the human race, funnily enough, it hasn't bottomed out. No. It's still Still going up and up and up. And it's still expanding. And it will continue to do that. And there are arguments to that. But as long as there are resources to feed people Mm. and to care for people and we don't have any major pandemics which wipe out vast amounts of people hmm. then population will keep expanding and yeah it's the, not like the resources go up or anything no, where the uh people ex- the, the the population expands obviously in the natural world then if you had um say uh, a forest that was full of uh, say deer mm-hmm. and they themselves have natural predators, you know, such as uh, wolves and things. You take away those natural predators, they're going to proliferate. They're going to proliferate, and they're going to eat themselves out of house and home. Yeah. Well, that's and, why we do culling and stuff. Yeah, until the point where they've destroyed their environment, and they themselves are starving and they're dying off because they haven't got anything. Yeah. But if you can keep feeding the populace and keep moving it forward, it's going to keep expanding. And yeah. That's not necessarily a, uh, That's one of those uh, questions of how we deal with that for a further podcast. Not yeah, today, it, it comes back, on to that question of going, morality, doesn't yeah, we're it? We're talking about going back to the moon. So the problem you've got is this expanding population on the planet, finite resources, and also with things like climate change, etc., and rising sea levels, you're getting coastal areas which are basically going to be underwater within 50 years. Mm. Uh, Places are getting so hot, yeah, they're becoming or having droughts, yeah. they're becoming uninhabitable. Some people are having to move out, yeah. so you're getting a bigger influx of people into others' habitable zones, yeah, which then become uninhabitable. But that puts a stress on resources, yeah. and again, you haven't got continued resources that are going to last everybody forever. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of research is going into how do we feed, feed people using things like you know plants, and how do we feed people by 
uh, insect proteins and things like this because we need to be able to manufacture and grow so much more food easily, cheaply and effectively, know, effectively to, to feed this growing population. So, yes, it's very important. Right now, right now are the first footsteps we're taking on that journey to go out. Into now, if the you cosmos. Could, if you could take all the, all the dirty, dirty engineering and everything off the planet, all the mining off the planet yeah. and, and the planet became a place where people just lived nature could be left alone to be you know have its uh, ecosystems untouched we don't need to chop trees down things like this. and everything we were taking resources which are openly available to us off world that's what where we're at we're taking those initial baby steps and it's so important because otherwise things could eat Possibly in the future, very well. I say possibly, very possibly, crash and burn. You know. Yeah, essentially, because we have the potential of all this industry going off world at the moment. But say something untoward happens, whatever. Not suggesting like nuclear apocalypse or anything, but that opportunity then is extinguished. Yeah, I mean, just take something that is a part of everyday life, which is. The extreme weather conditions that we're having you mm. know they're affecting everybody tsunamis on coastal regions say flooding torrential downpours which caused mass flooding in places like india last year yeah uh, europe um wildfires and you know just uh, all, all especially when you get wildfires and things all those fumes all the chemicals that are released go into the atmosphere and it, goes, it compounds the situation etc etc anyway so let's get back to our main subject after our little delve into you know, how humans are destroying the planet. Um, this is a positive step. So yeah. to answer the question, yes, I can see how people would say space exploration is expensive and what's the point? But the difference is, back in the 60s, that was funded by the government. Mm. It was funded, therefore, by taxpayers' money. Yeah. Now it's going commercial. Yeah, where being companies, private companies are doing the work. And this private company, uh, Innovative Machines, is poised to undertake its moon landing at the end of this week, as I say, with its journey to the lunar surface proceeding without any major issues so far. The Odysseus Nova Sea lander will start performing those procedures early on Friday the 23rd of February. It's scheduled to land near the Malapert A crater in the moon's southern polar region. The reason for that is because it's already been found that there's the most likelihood of having uh, water. frozen water. Yeah. So water is a vital resource for humans to be on the moon. Exactly, exactly. So they need to be there in a place where they have got the facility of getting at to that water resource. Mm. Not only for drinking water, but also because you can make uh, rocket fuel out of it as well. Yeah. And I think part of the Odysseus um, uh, mission. project mission yeah. is to actually test to some, see if, if some of the, that water-based fuel. Mm. See how it works. Anyway, so going back to the Odysseus mission itself, uh, the Odysseus has this week has performed a series series of engine maneuvers since it launched from Kennedy Space Center last week, and that's. Partly why I said earlier about if you'd seen the footage, because when you see the footage of the actual lander separating from the SpaceX rocket in orbit, it's just so crazy. It's a marvel. It's a marvel. I mean, you know, gone are the days of the crackly images in space and not being able to see yeah. it. It's so crystal clear. 
<laughs> and that's part of what I'm really looking forward to when we actually see that lander land. Yeah, okay. it'll be the clearest images we've ever seen of the moon. Oh, it, mo un undoubtedly. But the great thing is part of its payload is a separate camera unit which as it goes into its landing procedure on the moon on Friday, it will jettison that camera. Okay. Which will itself float in, because it's in space. Okay, so it'll jettison the camera and then that camera will record the whole landing sequence from away from the lander. <laughs> you know, so, you know, so like when, cool. when people, you know, often sort of like mention about the photographs of Neil Armstrong coming down the ladder. Well, the, that's just going back to yeah, that back whole to the conspiracy moon, the first, theory. The moon lander. They say, there's a picture of, of him coming down the ladder out of the lunar module. Who's outside taking the photograph? Yeah, they always they, they always love to, to use that one as a reason. It's CGI. It's CGI. Or, or it's Have that. you seen CGI back in the 60s? Yeah, but they always say that yeah, this is all false and they, we haven't been to the moon. The fact that outside of the module had loads of cameras attached to the legs and yeah. things is, is, is the point. But this one, without a shadow of a doubt, you're going to see the whole landing mm. from this module. So even if it went wrong at the last moment... The thing is, that camera array will separate from Odysseus and we'll even film, we'll be filming it. So even if it went wrong, for whatever reason, we're going to get, get to see that in glorious 4K. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy stuff. Over this past week, uh, two engines, commissioning and trajectory correction maneuvers have been uh, performed. Uh, they did think that they were going to have to do a third one, um, but at the moment, they're so happy with how everything's going they're not going to have to actually do a third trajectory correction maneuver yeah fingers crossed it stayed that way yeah uh, anyway so at this present moment odysseus continues to be in excellent health and is approximately sixty-eight thousand kilometers from the moon um, over the next several hours flight controllers will continue to analyze the flight data ahead of the lunar orbit insertion that's a cool hey. that's a cool title exactly and so it goes on if uh, uh, intuitive machines is, is successful in landing odysseus it will become the first private enterprise to place a vehicle on the moon's surface it will also mark the first time a u.s flagged vessel has completed a lunar landing in 52 years wow that is a it's a prospect it really is that is proof that it is really that hard to get back to the moon so over the next day or so while the lander remains in lunar orbit flight controllers would analyze the complete flight data and tr and transmit imagery of the moon back to earth hey. Bizarre. so it's not just the landing we're going to get to see we're actually going to obviously see the moon's surface from once it gets into its orbit close up yeah yeah so on the odysseus lander obviously it's got the two cameras but what else kind of like science experiment wise has it got on there ah oh, right kind of what its mission prerogative yes yes yeah. well, obviously it's, a, got, it's got to get there first but what okay. is it going to do well, when it does well i've been kind of looking into this as far as the payload is concerned so what's it carrying on board mm. um so let's let's run through that because you'd be surprised on actually how many things that it has actually got as a payload. Really? And some of those things are going to be surprising. Oh, I'm actually quite intrigued. Okay. I'm intrigued. So it's going to have a lunogram. What on earth's a lunogram? Okay. Um, it weighs <laughs> 200 grams, I believe. And a lunogram, uh, 
it's uh, going. It's part of uh, the Galactic Legacy Labs, and it's a plate mounted on the Nova Sea lander, which contains information about the Earth. Once bolted into the lander, it does not have any other function during the mission. There is a consideration that it may be removed in the future by standard EVA tools. Right, so it's kind of like that time capsule type of yeah. effort that if something finds it or something, yeah. like future generations or even potentially aliens, they can go, oh, that's where that's from. Exactly. We also have on board Moon Phases Art Cube. An art cube? An art this is cube. unexpected. What, what do you mean by an art cube? Because I'm just imagining some kind of like Pictionary type thing. <laughs> Well, it's, uh, it's interesting, this one. Uh, the payload says it weighs uh, 1.2 kilograms. Okay, it's Jeff Koon's first ever NFT project. It's a groundbreaking endeavour by one of the world's most prominent artists, titled, funny enough, Gen Jeff Koon's Moon Phases. And it centres on 125 miniature moons. Okay. Created, okay. created to illustrate how the sun and shadow appears to carve the moon into its phases from fall to eclipse and it's kind of like a i've got a picture of it here not that that's any good for the listeners but it's kind of like a lot a series of mini moons in a square block and what purposes I does that have well that's bizarre that's why i said this might be surprising what <laughs> yeah it, what it's going um, so that that is going to the moon that's going to the moon and it's it's an art project yeah Okay, kind of beyond me on this that one. That does. That does uh, kind of sound a bit And it does mention odd. about NFT. Now, I must say, I've heard about NFT. It's where you can buy the rights to digital content. content. Yeah. But I don't quite understand how NFT works. Maybe our listeners can put in the Fill comments. Fill us in, yeah, let of us course. Know. But yes. Yeah, so it's it, certainly the subject for one of our I AI episodes. I assume it's some kind of art project, but then people who are into their art and have mm. more money than they know what to do with can buy the rights to that nft artwork yeah well, that's my, been on the moon yeah my my immediate thing with that is how much did that cost to like get it up there yeah it costs a lot just to, to put fuel fuel wise like a kilogram is no short feat okay i agree <laughs> but at the same time it's not taxpayers money True. It's privatised. So privatized. Who, who are we to give who an opinion on it? Who are we to, like? to So, you know, there you go. Anyway, uh, then it's got the Omni Heat Infinity. Now, this sounds more sciencey. Come it. on. Uh, so Nova Sea incorporates Columbia's Omni Heat Infinity thermal reflective technology to help the project survive extreme temperatures in space. There oh. you go. So do, do you get extreme temperatures in space? Oh, yeah, because the heat from the sun. We, we live, obviously, on the planet, but we are protected by our Earth's atmosphere. Otherwise, we would just shrivel up and get... I mean, you, when it's a sunny day yeah. and there's no cloud cover, mm. I mean, we're gingers. Yeah. <laughs> we can go out in the sun for five minutes and turn lobster red. Yeah. You know, if I take my socks off in daylight... My feet burn. You know? That's a bit sad. I yeah. know, for us gingies. But there you go. Represent. Yeah, but <laughs> now think that is basically the sun's radiation, the, the heat from the sun. It's, co yeah. it's cooking our flesh on the surface of the planet through our protective atmosphere. Mm. Okay? I mean, I'd even go as far as to say, when it's cloudy, I can get sunburned. <laughs> 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 and so... Can you imagine what it's like when you're outside of the protective shell of our yeah. our, our atmosphere? 
that intense radiation. Yes, because I've, I've never really thought about it like that. I mean, it's kind of bizarre, really, because space is both obviously freezing cold because you're in that freezing vacuum of space, but the hmm. intensity of the radiation from the sun can and does create some such high temperatures. Yeah. So if you're on the moon's surface, you've got a situation where you're going to be exposed to very high temperatures, but then when you're in shade... Very low temperatures, yeah. Very low temperatures. So, yeah, this is all part of... It's always of... that sci-fi trope where as soon as you take your helmet off, you freeze to death. Yeah, so that's testing new technology mm. for, 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 for that uh, heat shielding. They also have the Lone Star Lunar, which is Lone Star is now pressing ahead with its first uh, of a kind lunar data center on board the Nova Sea. So it's kind of like a, a really high-end data center so all your data to go go into this i'm assuming it's like some kind of hard drive data center mm. um, so that's being tested out uh what else have we got we have oh what i mentioned early eagle cam eagle, eagle cam eagle cam will take the world's ultimate selfie when it captures the first ever third person views of a spacecraft making an extraterrestrial landing. Ah, so this is the like deployable deployable camera. Yes. Yeah. Uh, as intuitive machines Nova see uh, lunar lander approaches the surface of the moon, Eagle Cam will separate from the lander to capture the moment as it touches down. I do like the terminology Eagle Cam. Eagle Cam. <laughs> well, it's eagle-eyed, isn't it? It's yeah. Eagle-eyed yeah. position. So I'm really looking forward to that. That is going to be incredible. Especially um, when we get those footage. Also, we have the ILO-X. The ILO-X payload is a precursor to the ILO flagship Moon South Pole Observatory. So this payload includes a dual-camera miniaturised lunar imaging suite that aims to capture some of the first images of the Milky Way's galaxy centre from the surface of the Moon. Whoa, hang on. So this, this is actually looking out as a telescope into the universe, almost. Well, into into the our human, galaxy, yeah. Into our galaxy, but focusing on the centre of our galaxy. Right. Okay, because we are on the outer spiral arm of the, of Mil the, Milky, the Milky, Way. Milky Way galaxy. I mean, we call the galaxy the Milky Way. So if you think of the, the galaxy being a spiral mm. uh, of well, basically billions of stars yeah. with their own separate solar systems... It's looking towards the centre of our galaxy. To see what's there. Well, yeah, that would be absolutely fantastic. I mean, what, what is there exactly? I mean, we can only speculate. Uh, I believe that uh, there's meant to be a black hole oh, at the centre nice. of the galaxy. Don't quote me on that. If you know... Please comment below. <laughs> I'll, need to, I'll need to do some research and see if that still holds but up. But we, we do love our space stuff, though. Because we? the thing with science is, you know, we... It's like, if you go back to the 50s, I think it was the 50s, we still felt that there was vegetation on Mars. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, very respected uh, astronomers looking through the optical telescopes they had at the time could see dark patches on the surface of Mars. So therefore... And those dark patches would change during 12-month period. And so they assumed it must be some kind of living vegetation. Mm. But actually, when we managed to get the first satellites there, and the first explorers, like the Viking probes, it was discovered that actually there is nothing 
living on the surface that we know of anyway um, but there's certainly no vegetation on Mars and uh, but there's a lot of storms dust storms and things and it was probably that was what they were observing mm. through telescopes very you know not very detailed images all fascinating stuff so that that part of the payload is going to be looking at the center of our galaxy wow that's really know. exciting we also have the RFMG now what's that the RF MG technology uses radio waves and antenna in Nova C's tank to measure exactly how much propellant is available. There you go. So it's basically like your fuel fuel count, fuel gauge. The uh, RFMG could be crucial during future long duration missions that will rely on spacecraft fueled by um, cryogenic propellants. So what we were talking about, making propellants out of water. Mm. So very interesting stuff. Um, so actually it goes on further on this one. Cryogenic propellants like liquid nitrogen, liquid oxygen or liquid methane. These propellants are highly effective but are tricky to store mm. as they can evaporate quickly, even at low temperatures. Being able to accurately measure spacecraft fuel levels will help scientists maximise resources as NASA moves towards its goal of returning humans to the moon via Artemis. Yes. There you go. A very uh, important part of what the Odysseus mission is obviously going to be dealing with. Now, we have the, I don't know if you'd pronounce this by its letters or its name, and it's the Scaps. Scalps. Scalps. It's the S-C-A-L-P-S-S. Okay. Scalps. Scalps. Uh, will capture images of the effects of the lander's engine plume as it interacts with the lunar surface while Odysseus is descending. And as the dust plume settles after the spacecraft lands, this information is critical for validating predictive models on how particles on the lunar surface are moved by rocket engines uh, and allow scientists to analyse the close-up imagery of the surface of the moon. Data from scalps can be used for future Artemis vehicle design to ensure the safety of both the lander and any other surface assets uh, nearby during landing. So this is the point. When you've got something landing on the moon and you've got this the moon dust, let's call it that, hmm. the, the debris on the moon, you need to know like how far that bloom is going to be thrown out. Yeah. If it's going to have any uh, detrimental effect on engines, yeah. on, on whether it gets in into crucial working parts of machinery and things. So, you know, if you've got a moon base and you've got all sorts of technology there yeah. and you've got a lunar lander bringing astronauts down, yeah. onto the moon and then lifting off again, you don't want to suddenly find that you have been swamped with... Uh, all this debris. dust and debris that might be clogging up, for example, the, the uh, oxygen yeah. uh, scrubbers and things. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's as simple as that. So that obviously they're going to be testing out that, and this is going to be analysing. These are all, all all things that you could just easily like just forget about. It's glad that they've actually got the people on it to really kind of think and like analyse this type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you also have the Rolses. The Rolses. The Rolses. Uh, which uh, will use a low-frequency radio receiver system to measure the, the electron plasma environment on the lunar surface. Jesus. <laughs> that there sounds fun. Go. So this is going to be really high-tech That's high techy techy 
Yeah, the plasma environment measurements will provide critical information for Artemis astronauts and the design of rovers, spacesuits, and other exploration systems. So that yeah. speaks for itself, you know. So this is really getting to vital information. Yeah, the nitty gritty. Yeah. To design the vehicles, hmm. even the even the the, the spacesuits, as it How says. How to make things more effective. Then we have the NDL. The NDL is a LiDAR-based light detection and ranging sensor composed of an optical head with three small telescopes and a box of electronics and photonics. Wow, there you go. Uh, the NDL uses lasers to provide extremely precise velocity and range distance to the ground, uh, sensing during the uh, descent and landing of the lander. So this is going to be obviously vital information for when they start wanting to actually land a manned craft on the moon. Yeah. Um, so absolutely fascinating stuff. And we also have in the payload the LRA. No, just LRA. The LRA is a collection of eight approximately half-inch retro reflectors uh, a unique collection of mirrors that are used for measuring distance mounted to the lander. The mirror system reflects laser light directly backwards to the orbiting spacecraft uh, that uh, emit the laser light to precisely determine the lander's location on the surface of the moon. So this is all part of a guidance system, yeah. I assume. Yeah. Um, so that means that they can pre precisely... I think that's what's happened in the past, is you get... Uh, you you think you've calculated where you want your lander to land, mm -hmm. but it doesn't always land exactly precisely where you want, where it, you want it. Yeah. Um, hence, maybe why the Japanese one ended up upside down. But what you want when you're sending astronauts there, you want to make you sure wanna, you want to have the best chance. You want to have precisely where they need to land. Um, so you know all this all this tech is just cr crazily vital to further missions. Mm. Mm. Um, well then we also have the LN1. The LN1 is a small CubeSat-sized S-band radio navigation beacon that will demonstrate autonomous spacecraft positioning mm -hmm. to support future landers. Radio beacons like the LN1 can guide incoming and outgoing spacecraft and landers with precision and reduce fuel consumption. This experiment is part of NASA's Deep Space Network, or the DSN, for one-way ranging and Doppler tracking to provide real-time positioning like the way GPS works uh, on the Earth. As future Artemis uh, communications and navigation network systems are developed, hardware like LN1 and its capabilities uh, basically will be part of a much larger infrastructure when it comes to future missions. Mm. And there we go. Wow. That's the payload that it's gone there. That is amazing. All sorts of stuff on this lander, measuring everything from navigation, um, looking into the depths of our galaxy, testing out for the plumes, how, how the landers cause yeah. plumes of uh, moon dust to be thrown about and how that can have effects yeah. on future missions. Uh, you know, it's got all the, the, the 
just... It's very much observation and, and analysis yeah. of all these different aspects yeah. that it takes to be on the moon. Yeah. Either be able to obviously see for like the the, the heat shielding and yeah, etc. Of course, the, how to design the type of uh, new uh, spacesuits they're going to require mm. to be able to, to, to work give, on the moon. to give humans the best chance. Well, at that's right because sustaining themselves on the moon. Well. For a, and a get there. For, for a far longer duration. Yeah. Because obviously they were just there for a tiny short period of time. Of course, yeah. Uh, back in the 60s. But now we're talking about having, uh, obviously there were subsequent missions, you know, with like uh, the Lunar Rover and everything like that, uh, with the Apollo missions. But it is vital that future Artemis missions that, that are going to basically put a permanent base there need every scrap of information they can delve and landers like this are doing that now. initial work yeah you know um because obviously they're going to be let's, let's just hypothesize maybe for a moment mm. you know as we kind of wait for odysseus to make that amazing landing and start yeah. start his work so let's hypothesize what things are going to be like in the future on the moon okay okay let's do it you're not going to send astronauts there with a shovel to start building no that's <laughs> never gonna happen so you are going to see further missions going to the moon which is going to send technologies there yeah to... wasn't, wasn't one like a 3d printing yeah. capabilities to, to like possibility building yeah so you're going to have to have some kind of you have to have some kind of habitat so that might be habitat structures which may initially be temporary mm. in order to then construct more permanent ones there has been discussed and i know they have been tested now 3d printing uh by replicating the, the dust on the moon, combine that with water, which they would obviously not carry there, that would be found on the moon, to create a concrete and then be able to print out these things. I mean, they have got other ideas, such as if they could find uh, caves, etc., where yeah. they can just block, block the block entrance, it, block type, the entrance of, type of thing, thing and have an underground dwelling. It's going to be really interesting to see, to how see it which way it goes. You need to send, you need to send technology somewhere which can also produce rocket fuel because you're not mm. going to carry the rocket fuel there mm. that's going to necessarily also bring you all the way back. Yeah, it'd be yeah. It makes it far more sense if you only take the fuel to there get you there. to get you there and manufacture the fuel you need to get you home. But imagine that. Is, that's going to be a frightening prospect. Well, that's what is definitely going to have to happen. with. Uh, if you told an astronaut, by the way, we've got, we've got the fuel to get you there. But then when you're there... You've got to rely on the machinery that you've already sent, the tech that you've already sent, that's yeah. automated. And the resource is there. That's automated and produced. But yeah, but that's the thing. If, that's if a, that's a got, very if big got, responsibility. If you've got automated a tech on the moon's surface, which is producing fuel mm. and oxygen... Yeah. I think, didn't we have the... We talked about that, the mixy, because uh, the, they've got... A, uh, 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 oxygen producing machine called a mixy, um, if, it, if I recall right, which they've been developing uh, to produce oxygen and to scrub out carbon dioxide, these mixy units. But if you've got that there, then obviously you're going to be able to monitor that from the Earth's surface. And you're going to certainly be able to monitor it from any orbiting station that you've put that orbits uh, the Moon. Um, so before you get to the lunar surface, you'd like to think you know that your fuel tank's there are full yeah and everything is in that place that would be reassuring you know, your oxygen is there your your water is there your fuel is there i mean if you've got it's just like any 
survival situation. I say like, uh, in, in basic, it's like any survival situation on the planet Earth. You need shelter, you're going to need water, you're going to need food, uh, and in this case, you're going to need fuel mm. if you're going to come forwards and backwards from the place. So if you've got those things all organised, then Fingers hopefully crossed. the Artemis missions are going to be uh, basically taking people to the orbiting space station then from the orbiting space station you've got the moon lander that will come down and then that moon lander will return to the space station and you'll be having this transit of astronauts circularly moving forth, yeah. from the planet earth to there doing their time there and then coming back again and if it all goes well next step mars but next step moon so here we are on the verge on the cusp i can't wait for friday just to see how the landing goes i really hope that uh, they release the footage mm. showing us the landing. Of course, yeah. yeah. That'll be really, really uh, cool to see. Us, keep, don't keep us waiting, you know, because that's... Fingers is, crossed. And toes that so it all, all down, is a big the, success. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm excited about every aspect of this mission, but the main thing I'm looking forward to on Friday, apart from obviously a safe landing, is that eagle eye camera being jettisoned and watching the whole thing happen, mm. you know? And that is just going to be amazing. So that's a really fascinating update. But before we leave, it's time for the Mystery Hat of Mystery. I've got the Mystery Hat of Mystery in my hand. Yes, the Sherlock Holmes hat. That's right. Has been grabbed from the other side of the studio. Yeah, we're, we're getting very, very thin on the ground. I might have to update how many topics are in this hat. Yeah, I know. We or can, we'll have to find something else to do. I think we'll switch it for a, for a different thing, I think. We'll, Okey dokey. We'll have to come up with some new suggestions. So let's find out what the next topic for our exclusive episode for our patrons and YouTube members is going to be. Who's going to pick? I'm going to pick. Okay. See okay. if you can get Well, you pick because I was the one who'd done all the jibber-jabber this okay. week. Okay. All right. I'm picking. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. So, the topic... Well, not I'm going to say the topic. I'm going to say the episode. The episode. The episode is episode 21. Oh, 21. We're up, we're, we're, are we on 89 at the moment? This is 88. 88. Uh, or did you say 21? 21. 21. He's uh, way back in the day. Uh, I don't. I really have no. Would idea. you like? Clue? Give us a clue. Uh, was there a special guest? No. Okay. Uh, well, no. Okay. Not at that point. No. Okay. Come on. Closest to it, eating-wise, from what I recall, was uh, sausages and cider. <laughs> that doesn't help at all. Um, okay, I'll give you. I'll give you a thing. It's an eating one. It's an eating one. But with a twist. An eating one with... Well, it's not chilli. No? No, it's not chilli. I don't know. I give up. Bean boozled. Oh, my goodness me. I forgot all about that. That was the horrible jelly beans. <laughs> yeah, the horrible jelly beans. Oh, gosh. That was that was forced upon us by, by uh, Jack. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. I'll never, <laughs> never forget that one. I'm sure I had a bogey flavour. I wonder one. if we could have, be persuaded to do another one of those at some point in the future. Uh, That's certainly, do you want to eat more bogey flavoured uh, beans? We can talk about it in the exclusive episode. We so shall. stay tuned for that. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to this channel and comment below any suggestions of topics or activities you'd like to listen to in future episodes. That's a Lunar Lander goodbye from Zach. And that's an orbiting goodbye from Buzz. Goodbye. You can find the Now We Know Show podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. Keep up to date with everything ZWP on Facebook and Instagram or visit the Zach Wild Productions website at www.zachwildproductions.com. And remember to join us on Patreon or become a YouTube member for early access content and exclusive episodes.